I am so glad to see you. Um, is it just me, or does it feel like this Sunday is like the first Sunday in a while we've been like together as a family? And it's good to see many back with us that we haven't seen in, in this room. It does my heart really a lot of good. Um, I want to encourage you two things. One, I want to encourage you to plan on sticking around Sunday, March 6th for a few minutes after the morning service. We're going to have a family meeting that morning. Um, we're going to look back over God's faithfulness in 2021, but we're also going to be talking about a couple things in, a, in our future as a church and um, opportunities for discipleship within our community of believers that we're excited about as elders, and I want to kind of take some few moments that Sunday morning after the morning service to share that with you. Um, I want you to do something for me this week, too. I want you to pay attention to who you don't see in this room, who's a part of our church family, and I want you to encourage you to reach out to those folks. Um, not, in a, not in a way to shame them, but in a way to love them and say, man, I miss seeing you. I miss seeing you. Um, I think that's important. Um, the day and age that we live in, um, it's really easy to hide away, isn't it? It's really easy to hide away, and, and we need each other all the more, and we need to encourage people. We need, we need to, to all be here face-to-face -face as much as possible. We need to be here to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We need to be here to look one another in the eye and, and to pray with one another, to encourage one another. Um, I know how much I miss it, and when we don't have it, I, I, I've been in kind of a rough mood all week, and, and, I, and I was thinking about it this morning. I'm like, I am so excited to see my family today. And, and that's probably why I was in such a rough mood all week is I just didn't see you. Um, it's funny because this morning I had a conversation with Jeff Bentz. And uh, I, I need to share with you this morning that Jeff's father passed away yesterday. And Jeff, when I caught him this morning in the parking lot, because we, we didn't want to hug in front of you in the church. We wanted to hug out in the parking lot. That's what we do, right, Jeff? Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, when I caught him in the parking lot, he said, I needed to be here with my family. Isn't that awesome? And so you never know when you come on a Sunday what ministry you may have. You think you're just coming to show up, hear a message, sing, get out, go get lunch, all that stuff. God may have brought you here today because he has a ministry for you. And maybe part of your ministry is, is to just say to Jeff, man, I'm going to be praying for you. Or maybe your ministry is just to have heard that and pray for him and his family this week. But brother, we do love you. We are praying for you. It's never fun and it's never easy. Um, so Luke chapter 17 this morning. Luke chapter 17. I have mentioned from time to time that from a child, I have been fascinated with biblical prophecy. Anybody else in this room fascinated with biblical prophecy? I remember as a kid, um, my parents would drag us, and that's kind of where I kind of got my fascination with, is we go to prophecy conferences. Everybody else used to go to old-time prophecy conferences? Yeah, yeah. Um, looking back on them now, I'm like, man, I cannot believe we did it. Um, <laughs> You know, some of them were, were kind of good. Some of them were just kind of hokey, quite honestly, depending on the guy who was doing it. 
Um, I've told you before, I remember going into one church one time and the whole front of the platform was covered in, in this big, long display and each night he would pull back the cover on another part of it. I can remember sitting there as a kid, I wonder what's going to be at the end, even though what I knew was going to be at the end, right? One of the things that I've been thinking about lately is, is I can remember, and I even started doing, I went down this bunny hole on the internet this week, I can remember as a kid hearing a lot of preaching and teaching in Revelation, right? Um, yeah, we're going to talk about Revelation. And then if you did Revelation, you had to throw in the, the Old Testament book of what, church, with that? Daniel, right? You had to do Daniel and Revelation together. But one of the things I don't ever remember much was, how come we don't focus on the Gospels where Jesus talks about end times. And I got to thinking, was it just my experience? And then I went on, like I said, down this bunny hole in the internet this week, which is a dangerous place to go, I know. And, 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 I, and I realized, there's not many people when they talk about, when they preach about end times, that actually go to the source, Jesus, in the Gospels. We talk, and I mean, I know that's all God's word. I know it's, it's all, and don't, you, don't have, you don't have to remind me every word in the New Testament and even in the whole Bible should be red letter because it's the words of God. Yeah, I get that. But, but in the Gospels, we have Jesus literally talking about the end times. That would be like a good place to start. Do you agree with me? Be a good place to start with what Jesus had to say about it, right? Well, in our course of going through Luke, that's where we're at this morning. We're going to hear it in Jesus' own words, to his disciples. Now, this isn't the only text, and some of you I know like to go home and do some homework on this stuff, so I'm just going to give you some additional reading for you to do in the coming week, okay? If you want to hear more about what Jesus had to say about end times, you go to the Gospel of Matthew, and you look at Matthew 24 and 25, okay? You go to the book of Mark, and you go to chapter 13, you read that. You have our text today in Luke 17, but also in Luke chapter 21, Okay, and, and here in, a, in the coming months, we're going to get to Luke 21 and, and see what else Jesus has to say about end times. But this morning, we have this tremendous opportunity to hear Jesus teach about the kingdom of God and also what that means for the future. Okay, we, he's going to talk about its spiritual aspects of the kingdom of God, but he's also going to talk about its future earthly impact. What's going to happen here on this earth? So, when we talk about kingdom of God, I'm sure that many of you, it kind of conjures up an image in your mind. I want to make sure that, that we begin, because Jesus begins with the kingdom of God. If you look at verse 20 of Luke 17, Jesus is asked a question, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, okay? So, so Jesus is now going to go into this discourse about the kingdom of God. He's going to go into some teaching on it. I want us to understand what the kingdom of God is because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what the kingdom of God is. Let's also understand this, that because God is sovereign, then God is in charge of his kingdom. Do we agree with that this morning, church? God is in charge of his kingdom. Nobody else gets a say in his kingdom. He's sovereign over it. He's sovereign about who gets to come into it, how they come into it, what they inherit, and so many other things about this kingdom. You and I don't get to choose. God's done the choosing. And so it's his kingdom, and he is Lord over it. Jesus is his appointed Lord and King over this kingdom. We see it in the book of Revelation where at the end of Revelation, Jesus comes as what? Conquering king, right? 
riding the white horse, all that stuff that we saw in King Arthur that you read as a kid. Here's Jesus on the white horse coming with the armies of heaven down to claim his rightful earthly kingdom. And so let's understand a little bit about the New Testament aspect of it. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, we have John the Baptist announcing the kingdom of God. John the Baptist, this, this last of the prophets, really, he's, he's out in the wilderness, you know, he's got this, this coat of camel hair, and, and he's eating wild locusts and honey, and he's probably got this really disheveled beard, and he is just out there boldly proclaiming truth as a prophet, and he makes this announcement in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, don't be put off that he said kingdom of heaven. You'll find kingdom of heaven used a lot in in Matthew. You don't find it used much anywhere else. But kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are the same thing, okay? And and what, what John the Baptist was saying is, hey, folks, guess what? Now's the time. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. It's here. It's at hand. Jesus began his preaching, and in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says this, that, that the bulk of his preaching was this, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Both times that we've seen it now used in the book of Matthew, what's the key word at the beginning of it? Repent. Repent. The, the kingdom of heaven requires a change of heart. Requires a change of heart. And so, so you, might, you might say it this way. You might, you might put it this way, unless you claim Jesus as king and have a change of heart, you can't be a part of the kingdom. Unless Jesus is your king, you can't be a part of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, though, was a huge part of apostolic preaching and ministry. In fact, I want you to keep your finger here, after I had you turn to Luke 17, I want you to go to Acts chapter 1, because I want you to see how Luke describes this for us in Acts chapter 1 the apostolic ministry of, of, that, that's going to come for these men who have been following Jesus. And so as Jesus is, is preparing them, in chapter 1 and verse 3, Luke's, Luke's account of this is, he says, he presented himself alive to them. Jesus presented himself alive to, the, to his disciples, to his apostles, after suffering many proofs, appearing them to them during 40 days and speaking about what, church? Speaking about kingdom of God, Okay? Not only was Jesus' ministry when he was publicly proclaiming the good news of the gospel about the kingdom of God, his last days on earth with his apostles are this. I'm going to talk to you about the kingdom of God. So let's just understand something right here off the offset. Even the, the most obtuse person in the room can understand this, okay? The kingdom of God was big in Jesus' mind. Got that? It's big in his mind. It's big in his teaching. It's big in his preaching. It's big in his preparation of his disciples, you fast forward in the book of Acts, and you get to chapter 8 and verse 12, and we find Philip the evangelist out preaching, and the bulk of his preaching is about the good news of the kingdom of God, okay? You go to Acts chapter 14, and, and Paul is there, and he's talking to, to, to those people in, in Acts chapter 14, and he says this, it's meant through many tribulations that we will enter into the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 19, verse 8, Paul spends three months in Ephesus. There, Luke records for us, the bulk of his preaching is about, what do you guess it is, church? Kingdom of God. It's so throughout the book of Acts that when you get to Acts 28, Paul's imprisoned in Rome, 
And, and, and when he's imprisoned in Rome, there's this group of people who want to come and meet with him there in Rome. They want to hear his testimony. They want to hear what he has to say. And they finally set aside a few hours to sit with Paul. And Paul spends the bulk of his time there with these individuals who want to hear about his life and his ministry talking about the kingdom of God. Paul writing in Colossians chapter 4, talking about many of the people who he worked with in the course of his ministry, he said this about them and himself, we're fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And so the New Testament is full of kingdom of God references. What is it? Well, I think we can understand it this way. The kingdom of God is God's rule and reign in the hearts of those who are his subjects. And one day, that will manifest itself here on earth. There will be a physical kingdom here on this earth. There's a spiritual kingdom. And if you're in Christ today, guess what? You're part of that kingdom. Jesus is your king. You're a part of that kingdom. But that, that, that spiritual kingdom is going to have an earthly is going to have an earthly, if you will, manifestation. So when we talk about kingdom of God, we have to make sure that we understand, are we talking about spiritual part? Are we talking about earthly part? And usually in the Bible, when you see kingdom of God, it's yes, we're talking about both. We're talking about both. And so the Pharisees come with a question. And let's go back to Luke 17. I want to read our text this morning. It's a lengthy text. In my office Thursday when I was wrapping up my message, I'm like, man, I bit off way too much. But we're going to do it. We're going to go through the end of this chapter. Luke chapter 17, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Father, Jesus, in his prayer that he gave to his disciples, taught us to pray, your kingdom come. And this morning, I'm not sure that that's been foremost in my mind, let alone, I'm not sure it's probably not been foremost in the mind of many of my brothers and sisters and people in this room this morning. So, Spirit, help us to understand your kingdom better this morning so that our desire 
would, 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 would be for your earthly kingdom to come and your work in the hearts of those not prepared for your coming earthly reign to, to, to transform them so that they're ready for your kingdom to come, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this begins in verse 20 with a question from the Pharisees. And, and, and we need to understand why the Pharisees would, would ask this question. When the kingdom of God would come. This is kind of another test for Jesus. It's kind of another, kind of another little thing that they can throw at him. They're trying to get him to misstep and, and misanswer so they can use the answers against him. And, and they're, they're wanting him to predict it. Because, because if, if he can predict it, and, and most likely they believe he's going to predict it wrong, what can they do with him then? They can hold it against him, right? So they want him to give a date. They want him to give a time. They want him to, to kind of give the circumstances. But let's understand, this is a popular question with the people. If you just go forward a couple pages in, in Luke and go to Luke chapter 19, and you look at verse 11, Jesus is about to give them a parable. And he's going to give them the parable of the ten minas. And he heard these things that says there, and he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of a God was to appear immediately. Many of the people of that day, the, the general population of Israel, were expecting, okay? Put yourself in their shoes. Religiously, politically, it's a corrupt time. The priests are uber corrupt, right? And they know it. The general population knows it. Not only that, you've got Rome there, and Rome is pressing its heel even farther down on the throats of the, of the Jewish people, and so certainly as they, as they go to the synagogue and they hear the prophecies over and over about the coming Messiah and the kingdom of God coming, they are hoping beyond hope, and they're thinking to themselves, much like the way you and I think today, things can't get much worse, Right? And so they're hoping beyond hope that their Messiah is going to come, that, that the earthly kingdom of King Jesus or whoever it's going to be is going to come and it's going to, it's going to happen. And so the Pharisees ask, and the people, I'm sure, are all whipped up with this question because they want to know. And then Jesus gives them the answer that they least expect, which, have you figured this out when we're going through the Gospel of Luke? When Jesus answers a question of the Pharisees, it usually disarms the Pharisees immediately. And the answer Jesus gives is this, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Time out. Time out here. What are you talking about? The, king, the kingdom of God is going to come, and it's going to come in full force and fury. It's going to be shock and awe in their minds, right? It, it, it is going to totally throw off all of Roman oppression. We're just waiting for it. And now you're saying it's coming in ways that can't be observed? What is Jesus saying? It's not observable. The, the Pharisees, just like most in our world today, are looking for a big sign. They're looking for, for something huge. They're looking for, for the next big thing. And Jesus is saying there's going to be no next big thing. In fact, you're not going to know. In fact, he goes on to say then, <laughs> look at verse 21, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. There's going to be no fanfare over this. There's not going to be some big, bold pronouncement, people riding through your town and saying, the kingdom of God is here. No. Why? Because Jesus says this, it's already in the midst of you. And at that point, at that point, 
I'm sure the Pharisees are like, huh? What? It's in the midst of us and they're looking around? And some of the real pious ones are probably thinking, well, of course it's in the midst of us. Here I am. Here I am. You see, you're not going to be able to say it's here or there. It's already here in the midst of you. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, one of the rulers, when he's talking to him, he says this, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is regenerated, he can't see the kingdom of God. And, and as I said before, if you don't see Jesus as king, you're not going to see his kingdom. And so, so here, what he's saying is, no, it's not in the hearts of you Pharisees, but the kingdom of heaven's already here. I already have followers. Now, I'm not even sure if the disciples grasped it completely at this point. I'm not even sure they grasped it completely at this point. But they're going to. It's right there in the middle of them. And, and, and as Jesus says that, you almost get the idea here. You have this large group. You've got Pharisees. You've got his followers there. And as the disciples are like, they're, they're thinking this through, the Pharisees are kind of over here like, what's he mean? It's in the middle of us. What's going on here? Is there something going on we don't know about? Is there a plot? What's happening here? And Jesus turns to address his disciples. You see it there in verse 22? He's talking about the internal kingdom. He's talking about that spiritual part of the kingdom of God. And he's saying it's right here in the middle of you. And it's, the Holy Spirit is in residence in his disciples' hearts. I'm here with you. The kingdom of God is physically right here in the middle of you. And, 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 and unless you're regenerated, you, you don't know that God's kingdom is right here. And so he's dealing with this internal aspect of the kingdom. But now he's going to deal with the external, the physical, physical aspect of this. And, and who does he address it to? He addresses it to disciples. He doesn't address it to the Pharisees. I think that's kind of instructive to us. Jesus really wants his followers to know what's about to come. Take comfort in that, church. If you're the follower of Jesus, he wants you to know what's coming. Okay? Now, what you and I want to know is not necessarily what he intends. I mean, we're looking, we're kind of like the Pharisees. We're looking for the signs and wonders. We're looking for this. We're looking for that. And, and Jesus has made it clear what we need to know. And so let's not read anything into the rest of this text. There are certain things that Jesus wants us to know about what's coming in our future. And here's what he wants us to know. The first thing is found in verse 22. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Okay? The first thing that Jesus wants to know about, about his coming rule and reign, and let's understand, these guys were well-educated. There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament alone that point to the earthly reign of the Messiah and the kingdom of God. Okay, And Jesus himself, in talking to his disciples, had promised that he was going to return for them. He had told them he was going away. He had promised that he was going to return. He had told them that, that, that one day, if they stayed faithful to him, they were going to rule and reign with him. And now he's going to give them some more insight. And the first thing he wants them to know is this. True followers of Jesus will desire for him to come back. You see it there? Verse 22, there's going to come a day you'll desire to see one of the days of Son of Man. You're going to, you're going to look back and you're going to say, for these guys, it was going to be, I want to, I want to have one of those days when I was with Jesus. I want Jesus to be here. 
Now, you and I don't have that benefit. We don't know what it's like to earthly be uh, with Jesus bodily and, and spend a day with him. But, but it ought to be the same for us in our hearts. There ought to be this longing to be with Jesus. This desire to see Jesus and be with him. And he's saying this, you're going to long for it and it's not going to be there. You're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. May I submit to you this morning, one of the indelible marks of a follower of Jesus is that they long and they desire to be with him. If you don't have that, something's not right. Something's not right. We want to be physically present with him. Paul, in writing to Titus, says this in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, that, that we're to be waiting for that blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that he goes on to write to the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians 5 that, that that desire keeps us awake, it keeps us sober. Are you awake today? I'm not talking about physically awake, but are you awake to what's going on in the world around you? Are you sober-minded about what's happening around us? Because if you are, it makes you desire that Christ will return. If you're in tune with what's going on in the world, and if, and if you are desiring his return, you, you, you are going to be awake and sober about what's going around you. And what I fear is, and I don't mean this as a strong rebuke, but I, I, just, I fear for many of us that we're not awake as to what's going on around us because we're so comfortable with what we are doing in our own lives right now. We're proverbial ostriches with our head in the sand. Folks, this world is growing increasingly evil. This world is, is becoming less and less of a, of a friend of those with, that want to stand with righteousness. Do you realize that? And that's okay, because that means that we're closer to Jesus returning. That's okay. Paul goes on to say that, that not only does it keep us awake and sober in 1 Thessalonians 5, but later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, he says this, it leads us to want to encourage and build one another up. You know one of the reasons why you need to be together with the body of Christ is because you all need encouragement. Am I right or am I right? How many of you need encouragement? Yeah. yeah. How many of you get dis just really dismayed with what the world is doing? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's easy. It's easy. We do one of two things. We hide ourselves away from it. We never watch the news. We don't know what's going on. I talked to somebody this week who had no idea that Intel was going to build a plant here in Licking County. I'm like, where have you been? Under a rock? And so we try, try to hide ourselves away from it, but, but hiding yourself away from it isn't going isn't to help you. What you need to do is be awake and alert as to what's going on, and then you need to spend time with your brothers and sisters encouraging them. And so Jesus says the first thing about these last days that are coming is, you're going to want to be with me. And he says, and if you don't, I'm saying to you, if you don't, something's very wrong. Verse 22, you're going to desire for me. The second thing that I want you to see is Christ's return is not going to be hidden. It's not going to be hidden in this regard. It's going to be witnessed globally. Look at verse 22. 
There's going to be some people who, in verse 23, who are going to say, hey, Christ has already returned. Hey, look over here. Jesus is doing something. Look over here. Jesus is doing something. Unfortunately, most of those people are doing it in the name of Christ today. There are a lot of charlatans behind pulpits today who claim that they know the exact time when Jesus is coming and all that stuff. I just want to tell you what that is. It is all bogus hogwash. Don't be distracted by that. Christ's return is not going to be hidden. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 24. It's going to be like this. I know we're in the middle of dreaded winter, okay? Do you remember the last thunderstorm, that, the kind that like came at 2 a.m. and woke you awake? Did you see the lightning? Could you hide from the lightning? No. Notice what he says. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Make no mistake, when King Jesus returns, the world is going to know. The world is going to know. There will be no doubt. There will be no doubt. Matthew talks about it this way in his gospel. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29. He puts it this way. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Do you think that will get somebody's attention? Then will appear in heaven the signs of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The world's going to know. The world's going to know. And so, folks, don't worry about the signs and all this stuff. When God wants us to know, it's going to be pretty evident, right? But Jesus wants us to know something else. There's a third thing he wants us to know in verse 25. Before he returns, before, before he comes back to establish his earthly kingdom, there's going to have to be a period of rejection. There's going to have to be a period. Jesus is going to have to be rejected he says it, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. I think of the words of, he came to his own and his own what? They received him not. And let's be honest, Israel still re rejects Jesus as their Messiah, don't they? Israel is so spiritually blind that even after Jesus has come and he's done everything that he said he was going to do and it all matches up with their prophecies, they still reject him today. But according to Zechariah chapter 12, it's not going to always be that way. There's going to come a day when Israel will, will, by God's grace and God's mercy in their hearts, will receive Jesus as their Messiah. And in that day, God says, I'm going to raise up for them a fountain where they can be washed. Jesus is still being rejected, but it said there also that he had to suffer. He had to suffer many things. Christ had to suffer the sins for the sins of his people. Christ had to suffer for your sins and for my sins. This is all part of God's plan. And so I take heart in this because as Jesus is talking about this to his disciples, some of this stuff has already happened. So this, I can be pretty confident that the rest of this stuff is going to come true, right? Right? First, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You see, just as it was God's sovereign plan for Jesus to suffer, it's 
God's plan that Jesus will be rejected? I know that bothers you, many of you as a follower of Jesus. Does it bother you that Jesus is rejected? It's God's plan. It's God's plan. And, and we've got, we got to rest in that. Because here's the thing. If all of this stuff, as I mentioned, has already come true, the rest of it's going to come true too. The same God is going to faithfully bring it to pass. So Christ's return is not going to be hidden. It's going to be witnessed globally. It's going to be preceded by rejection. But, but the fourth thing that I think Jesus wants us to see, and this is really important for us, is that Christ's return is going to be cloaked in normalcy. Cloaked in normalcy. Look at verses 27 and following there. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Look down at verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. So Jesus is going to give us two illustrations here of what the times are going to be like. Okay? What's interesting is, is that he picks Noah. What do you know about Noah? How did it all end when Noah got in the boat? It was a flood, right? And don't believe the lies. It's a worldwide flood that covers the whole earth. Trust the scriptures on that, okay? It's not a local, you know, in one part of the geography. It's a global flood. God's big enough to, to create enough water to flood this earth. He created the earth, okay? God destroyed the earth except for Noah, his three sons and their wives, and a few animals, right? What do we know about Lot? Well, we know that Lot lived in a town called what? Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And what did God do with those cities? He warned them and warned them. Remember, Abraham interceded for them, right? Like, hey, if I can find 50 righteous souls, and God's like, go find them. And, and he got down to a very small number, didn't he? And there, were no, and there weren't even that many righteous souls. And so what does God do? God pours out his fire and judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Both of these illustrations that, that Jesus is using here deal with days that are going to bring judgment, okay? But notice the activity that precedes it. Notice the activity. Verse 27. They're eating, they're drinking, they're marrying, they're being given in marriage. Any of that immoral, church? Is that immoral? No. I'm guessing that if you haven't eaten yet today, you're going to, correct? I'm guessing that if you haven't had a drink of Mountain Dew, you're going to get one later, right? If you haven't, you should. Okay? I'm guessing you're going to do that, right? Many of you are married, right? Some of you are planning on being married. This is normal life that he's talking about here. He's not talking about anything immoral here. Go down to what's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Lot. They're eating and drinking. They're buying and they're selling. How many of you went to Walmart this week? How many of you sold something on Facebook Marketplace? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. How many of you went and, and, and were active in business this week, planting and building? These are just normal activities, right? You say, why is Jesus drawing attention to normal activity before days of judgment? Well, it's cloaked in normalcy. And one of the things that happened during those times is, is that their normal, their normal kind of went way downhill. In the days of Noah, did normal start to degenerate? In the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, did it start to degenerate? 
Are we living in days where normalcy is degenerating? Are we, church? Yeah, we are. And what Jesus here is doing is he is warning against being too attached to the simple affairs of this life. And it's something that happens to all of us. You know, I like a good steak dinner just as much as anybody else. But I can get a little too excited about a good steak dinner. One day, I'm going to get to eat at the banquet table of the king and I'll get all the steak I'll ever want. Well, maybe not. There's not going to be any death. I don't know how he's going to do that. I hope we can have prime rib anyway in heaven. I'm praying for it. Okay. Oh, no. I'll, can you figure that out this week for us? Will there be steak in heaven? Okay. We want an answer next week, okay? A lot riding on this. Um, but do you understand how easily we get consumed with the things of this life? And what Jesus is warning us is, and, and, and every once in a while we have to be jolted. A loved one passes away, or we go through a real bad experience with our job, or with our health, or something like that, and we have to be jolted back to reality, like there's more to this life than just the here and the now. Don't we? And, and, and what Jesus is saying is don't get wrapped up in all the normalcy that's going on here. Because, because here's what's happening. When you get all wrapped up in the normalcy, you're not thinking about the fact that, that, that I'm going to return and that I'm going to establish my earthly kingdom. And here's the thing. If you are a follower of Christ, you are first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's your number one allegiance. Now, whether or not our lives reflect that is a different story. But there's a fifth thing he wants us to know, and we got a short amount of time. Boy, do we have a short amount of time. Christ's return is going to be devastating for those who aren't prepared for it. I don't know how else to sugarcoat that for us this morning, because the word really doesn't here. If you've noticed that this, this passage of Scripture really ends on a, just a kind of a dour note. When I read that, where you're just like, well, that's a really bad way to end a chapter. The vulture, hey, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But let's understand something. Christ's return is going to be devastating for those who aren't prepared for it. And if you're in Christ this morning, that ought to shake you for your family and friends and your neighbors who aren't in Christ. And if you're not in Christ and you're here this morning, you need to understand that judgment is coming and it is going to be devastating. Look at verse 29. It is going to be judgment. You know, just as there was a, a worldwide flood in verse 27, and just as in Sodom and Gomorrah there was fire and sulfur, he says this, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Notice how serious it is. Verse 31, you're not going to have any advance warning. Verse 31, you're going to be on, if you're on the housetop, and, and picture in your mind one of these typical... Mediterranean dwellings with a flat roof, okay? And, and so a lot of the stuff that you did, like if you were a woman in that house, you did your laundry, where'd you put it? You put it up on the roof of the house, right, to dry. You, you did a lot of your food prep up there where there was air and stuff like that. It's better than being down in the house and doing it. You spent a lot of time up on the roof of your house. And see, there were two ways to get off that roof. There was usually an internal stairway and there was an external stairway. 
And here's what Jesus is saying. On that day, when I am revealed, if you're up on your roof and you're trying to get away from me, don't go down through the house and grab anything. You take the external stairs and you run. You go. You don't have time to go inside and get something. And then he says this. He says, if you're in the field, don't turn back. And then he says, remember Lot's wife. (laughs) What happened to Lot's wife? She took one look, and she became, you know, she became the icon for Morton Salt, didn't she? Took one look. And Jesus says this, if you seek to preserve your life, you're going to lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. There's the key right there. There's the key right there. If you are living your life today to try to preserve your life, if you are living it for this life right here and right now, it is a losing proposition. You will lose 100% of the time. But if you are willing to lose your life now, you are preserving it for the kingdom of God. I can remember reading these last verses and thinking that if you were the one left, that you were the one who was getting judged. But, but, but I want you to just read these verses with me. Verse 34, I tell you in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left, okay? And I can remember thinking if you were left, that's probably really bad. No, no. Think about a flood. Who are the ones who were left? The ones who were in the ark of safety, Right? Who are the ones who were taken away? The ones who didn't take advantage of the ark, right? They were literally all swept away. And and the picture here is, there's coming a day, and and I believe in, in in the timeline of this, this is at the end of the tribulation period, there's going to be those who are righteous, they're going to be left here, and there's going to be some that are just swept away into judgment, they're dead. So there'll be two women grinding together, one will be taken, the other left. And he said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is is where the vultures will gather. And let's understand something here. Lot's wife was so close to being rescued, was she not? She was on the way out. She, she was almost ready to say, we made it, except she turned back. And the lesson here for us is this. There's coming a day of judgment. And if you're not in Christ, if you're not a part of the kingdom of God, even if you're close, like so close that you attended faithfully a church, so close that you might have even picked up a Bible and read it, so close that you knew all the answers in Sunday school, guess what? There's no points for being close. You're either in Christ or you're not. You're either in Christ or you're not. In the little epistle to Jude, there is this just shaking passage of Scripture. And it goes this way. In Jude verses 14 and 15, it says this. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Okay, Enoch 
way back in time, prophesied about this, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Could He use ungodly just one more time in that verse? Do you get what He's saying there? It's not about this pious external godliness that we put on to try to fool other people. Some of you are aware of that because you're trying to do that right now. It's about an internal godliness. Either your heart is godly or it's ungodly. And here's, here's what Jude is saying. There's coming a day when the Lord will come with ten thousands of his holy ones and he will be the executioner on that day. Here's the simple reality. It's harsh. If you're not in Christ when he returns or when you die, you will be convicted and tried and judged and found guilty in your unrighteousness because you've rejected Jesus as your king. And the sentence will be eternal separation from God. Severe. Very severe. The flip of that is, if you're in Christ, you're a part of his everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that can't be shaken, a kingdom that's not going away, a kingdom where you will physically be with him for eternity. That's a pretty good deal. Are you ready and eager for his return? Are you looking forward to it? Or are you too attached to this life to even be thinking about Christ returning? Or maybe even me mentioning the fact that Christ is going to return and that it's imminent and could happen anytime gives you a panic right now. That's a problem. That's a problem. If you're sitting here panicked about Christ's return, something's not right. Last week, we saw the mercy of God in the passage preceding. Just remember, this is on the heels, as Luke records this for us, on the heels of the parable, or not the parable, but the story of the ten lepers. It's not a parable. It really happened. It's right on the heels of this, and, and God's mercy on display, Jesus' mercy, full on display, on the, on the heels of that, Jesus, it, it's recorded for us, talks about judgment. The same thing I said last week is true today. God is rich in mercy. We sang about it today. We, we thought about it as we took the Lord's Supper today. God is rich in mercy. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to restore. He's ready to add to his kingdom. He's ready to reconcile those who will come by faith and graciously receive his salvation. You see, you can either be reconciled or you can be judged forever for your sins. There's no middle ground there. There's no middle ground. Because remember, it's the kingdom of God and he's sovereign over it all. He's the, one, he's the one who gives admittance to it. And he's the one who decides how you get in because it's his kingdom. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that in the quietness of this moment before we leave this room, that we would have, look at our hearts Spirit, 
convict of sin and righteousness and judgment to come, we pray. For those of us in this room who are a part of your kingdom, may we take comfort in the fact that we will not have to face the wrath of God. But may we also be motivated by the fact that we have probably many neighbors and friends and family members who, unless you were to intervene, they will face it. May we be faithful in our witness. May we be bold in our representing of the kingdom of God. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.